Chapter Nine of Dodo Wonders by E. F. Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Crow Girl. Chapter Nine, Midstream. The morning paper had been brought in to Dodo with her letters, and she opened it quickly at the middle page. The German assault on Verdun was being pressed ever more fiercely. It seemed impossible that the town could hold out much longer. A second of the protecting forts had fallen, smashed and pulverized under the hail of devastating steel. Dodo read no more than the summary of the news. It was bad everywhere. There was not a single gleam of sun shining through that impenetrable black cloud that had risen out of Central Europe nearly two years ago and still poured its torrents onto broken lands. On the eastern front of Germany, the Russian armies were being pushed back. The British garrison in Kut was completely surrounded, and even the sturdiest of optimists could do no more than affirm that the fall of that town would not have any real bearing on the war generally. They had said precisely the same when, a few months ago, Gallipoli had been evacuated, just as when, in the first stupendous advance of the enemy across France and Flanders, they had slapped their silly legs and shouted that the German lines of communication were lengthening daily, and presently the Allies would snip them through, so that all the armies of the Hun would drop neatly off like a thistlehead when you sever its stalk with a stick. At this rate, how many and how grave disasters were sufficient to have any bearing on the war? Perhaps the fall of Verdun would be a blessing in disguise— the disguise certainly seemed impenetrable, but the optimists would pierce it. Dodo pulled herself together and remembered that she was an optimist too, though not quite of that order, and that it was not consistent with her creed to meditate upon irretrievable misfortunes, or indeed to meditate upon anything at all, when there were a dozen private letters of her own to be opened at once, and probably some thirty or forty more connected with hospital work waiting for her in the office. It certainly was not conducive to efficiency to think too much in these days, especially if nothing but depression was to be the result of thinking, and if all she could do was to see to the affairs of her hospital, it was surely better to do that than to speculate on present data about the result of the fall of Verdun. A tap at her door and David's voice, demanding admittance, reminded her that after she had attended to the immediate requirements of the hospital, she was to have a holiday today, as David was going to school for the first time tomorrow, and this day was dedicated to him. Thus there was another reason for liveliness. It would never do to cast shadows over David's festival. "'Yes, darling, come in,' she said. "'I'm still in bed like a lazybones.' "'Oh, get up at once, Mummy,' said David. "'It's my day. Shall I fill your bath?' "'Yes, do. While it's filling, I shall open my letters.' "'But not answer them,' said David. "'You can do that tomorrow after I have gone.' "'Isn't it funny? I don't want to go to school a bit, "'but I should be rather disappointed if I wasn't going.' "'I know, darling. I'm rather like that, too. "'I hate your going, but I'm sending you all the same.' "'Anyhow, I shan't cry,' announced David. "'Dodo glanced through her letters while David was busy with her bath. "'There was one from Jack, announcing that he would be here for the Sunday, "'and that was good. "'There was one from Edith, and that made her laugh, "'for it informed her that she would arrive tonight, "'bringing her typewriter with her.' The speed at which she was getting efficient appeared to be quite miraculous. If her machine had not been away being repaired, she would have typed this letter instead of writing it. She had knocked it over yesterday, and the bell wouldn't ring at the end of a line. She was learning shorthand as well, and it would be good practice for her to take down Dodo's business letters from dictation and type them for her afterwards. "'Ready!' shouted David from the bathroom next door, "'and I've put in a whole bottle of something for a treat.' 
From the thick steam that was pouring through the open door, it seemed certain that David had treated her to a bottle of verbena salts. "'Darling, that is kind of you,' said Dodo cordially. "'Now you must go downstairs and say we'll have breakfast in half an hour.' "'Less,' said David firmly. "'Well, twenty-five minutes. You can begin if I'm late.' The rule on these festivals, such as birthdays and last days of the holidays, was that David should, with his mother as companion, do exactly what he liked from morning till night, within reason, Dodo being the final court of appeal as to whether anything was reasonable or not. She was allowed to be reasonable, too, not having to run, for instance, if she really was tired, and so when he had gone downstairs, she emptied the bath-water out and began again, since it was really unreasonable to expect her to get into the fragrant soup which David had treated her to. But she was nearly up to time, and in the interval he had learned the exciting news that the keeper's wife had given birth to twins. This led to questions on the abstruse subject of generation which appalled the parlour-maid. Dodo adhered to the gooseberry-bush theory and would not budge from her position. An hour in her business-room after breakfast was sufficient to set in order the things that she must personally attend to, and she came out on to the lawn, where David had decreed that croquet should form the first diversion of the day. It was deliciously warm, for the spring which was bursting into young leaf and apple-blossom on the day that Dodo had gone up to town three weeks ago was now, in these last days of April, trembling on the verge of summer. A mild southwesterly wind drove scattered clouds white and luminous across the intense blue, and their shadows bowled swiftly along beneath them, islands of moving shade surrounded by the living sea of sunlight. Below the garden the beechwood stood in full vesture of milky green, and the elms still only in leaf-bud shed showers of minute sequin-like blossoms on the grass. The silver flush of daisies in the fields was beginning to be gilded with buttercups. The pink thorn-trees, after these weeks of mellow weather, were decking themselves with bloom, and the early magnolias against the house were covered with full-orbed wax-like stars. Thrushes were singing in the bushes, the fragrance of growing things loaded the air, and David, from sheer exuberance of youth and energy, was hopping over the croquet-hoops till his mother was ready. Sight, smell, and hearing were glutted with the sense of the everlasting youth of the reawakening spirit, and as she stepped out onto the terrace, Dodo recaptured in body and soul and spirit for just one moment the immortal glee of springtime. The next moment she saw a few yards down the terrace a bath-chair being slowly wheeled along. Two boys on crutches walked by it. Its occupant had his whole face as far as his mouth swathed in bandages and before she knew it a whole gallery of pictures was flashed onto her mind. Hospital ships were moving out of port and putting into port again if they escaped the deadly menace of the seas. Long trains with the mark of the Red Cross on them were rolling along the railways and discharging their burdens of pain. Down the thousand miles of front the pitiless rain of shells was falling, Verdun tottered, in Kut. Dodo pulled herself together and overtook the bath-chair. "'Why, what a nice day you've ordered to come out on for the first time, Trowel,' she said. "'Drink in the sun in the wind. Doesn't it feel good after that beastly old house? "'Ashley, if you go that pace already on your crutches, "'you'll be taken up for exceeding the speed limit in a week's time. "'As for you, Richmond, you're a perfect fraud. "'Nobody could possibly be as well as you look. "'Isn't it lovely for me? I've got a whole holiday "'because my boy is going to school tomorrow, "'and we're going to play games together from morning till night.' He's waiting for me now. If any of you want to be useful, not otherwise, you might stroll down to the lodge across there and tell them I shall come in to see the keeper's wife sometime today. 
She's had twins. I never did. Yes, David, I'm coming. David had never forgotten that remarkable game of croquet he once witnessed, when Prince Albert Hun, as he was now called, and Miss Grantham both cheated, and this morning, as a reasonable diversion, he chose to impersonate him and cheat too. Naturally, he announced this intention to his mother, who therefore impersonated Miss Grantham as a defensive measure, and the game became extremely curious. David, of course, imitated the Albert Hun mode of play, but having adjusted his ball with his foot so as to be precisely opposite his hoop, and having bent down in the correct attitude to observe his line, he found that Dodo had taken the hoop up, and so there was nothing to go through. "'Oh, I finished being a Hun,' he said when he made this depressing discovery. "'Let's play properly again. What made him so fat?' "'Eating,' said Dodo. "'You'll get fat, too, if you go on as you did at breakfast.' but I was hungry. I could have eaten a croquet ball. Should I have been sick? Probably. Get on, hit it. All right. And why did Princess Hun always creak so when she bent down? Do you remember? Did she ever have twins like Mrs. Reeves? Can I have twins? Yes, darling, I hope you'll have quantities sometime, said Dodo. Can I have them today? asked David. Let's go to the kitchen garden and look among the gooseberry bushes. No, there's no time for you to have them today. Then I shall wait till I go to school... "'Oh, I've hit you!' screamed David, suddenly losing interest in other matters. "'Now I shall send you away to the corner, and I shall go through a hoop, and I shall—' David, careering after the ball, tripped over a hoop which he had not observed, and fell down. Thereafter came an expedition to the trout stream, and since their efforts to throw a fly only resulted in the most amazing tangles in the hooking of tough bushes, it was necessary to suborn a gardener to supply them with worms, and to promise to say nothing about it, for fear Jack should have a fit. With this wriggling lure, so much more sensible if the object of their fishing was to entrap fish, which it undoubtedly was, David caught two trout and the corpse of an old boot, which gave him a great deal of trouble before it could be landed, since, unlike the trout, boots seemed to be absolutely indefatigable, and could pull forever. Then David distinctly saw a kingfisher come out of a hole in the bank, naturally the other side of the stream, and had to take off his shoes and stockings and wade across, as there was a firm legend that the British Museum would give you a thousand pounds for an intact kingfisher's nest. He dropped a stocking into the water, and this was irrevocably lost, but on the other hand he found a thrush's nest, though no kingfishers. But as he was totally indifferent as to whether he had two stockings, or one, or none, the fact of finding a thrush's nest contributed again, on balance. After that it was certainly time to have lunch, as was apparent when they got back to the house and found it was close on half-past three. So they decided to miss out tea, or rather combine it with supper, and continue looking for birds' nests. Dodo was the least envious of mankind, but she was inclined that day when the sunset began to flame in the west and kindle the racing clouds to be jealous of Joshua, and if she had thought that any peremptory commands to the sun and moon would have had the smallest effect on their appointed orbits, she would certainly have told them to remain precisely where they were until further notice. All day she had been playing truant. She had slipped her collar and gone larking in the springtime. With none other except David could she have done that. There was no one intimately dear to her who would not have shooed her back into the environment of the war. Jack, even the friend of her heart, must have asked about the hospital, and told her about the remount camp, and given her the latest war office news about Verdun and Kut. But Dodo could lose herself in love with David, 
and all day he had never brought her up gasping to the surface again. The most tragic of his recollections concerned his going to school to-morrow, and knit up with that was the joy of new adventures, and the grandeur of leaving home quite alone with trousers and a ticket of his own. His world all day had been the real world to her, and it was with the sense of an intolerable burden to be shouldered again that she saw the evening begin to close in. Often had the complete childish unconsciousness of any terrific tragedy going on enabled her to slip the collar to get a drop of water from this boyish Lazarus, who alone was able to cross for her the great gulf fixed, and now the giver of a little water was off to embark on other adventures. With an intuition wholly without bitterness, Dodo knew that in a week's time she would be getting ecstatic letters from him on the joys of school and the excitement of friendship with other boys. She loved the thought of those letters coming to her. She would have been miserable if she had pictured David really missing her. She had no doubt that he would be glad beyond words to see her again, but in the interval there would be cricket to play, and friends to make, and cakes to share, and stag beetles to keep. It was intensely right that a new life should absorb him, for that was the way in which young things grew to boyhood and manhood and learnt the part they were to play in the world. But as far as she herself went, leaving the consideration of the big affairs outside, she imaged herself as a raven croaking on a decayed bough. Jack would come and croak too, Edith would croak, everybody except those delicious beings aged twelve or under croaked, unless they were too busy to croak. But to David the war, that aching interminable business, was just a pleasant excitement, like the kitchen chimney being on fire or a water-pipe bursting. There were a quantity of agreeable soldiers in the house, who sometimes told him about shrapnel and heavy stuff and snipers, and to him the war was just that, an exciting set of stories connected with the smashing up of the Hun. He had a world of his own, of the things that truly and rightly concerned him. The most thrilling at the moment was the fact of going to school to-morrow. After that came the lost stocking, and the other diversions of the day. Since morning he had wild Dodo from herself, and as they sat down with great grandeur to a splendid combination of tea and supper, which included treacle pudding, the two trout, and bananas, reasonably chosen by David for the last debauch, Dodo's jealousy of Joshua surged within her. In an hour from now David would have gone to bed, and then she would go upstairs to say good-night to him, and come down again to welcome Edith and her typewriter and slide back into the old, heart-breaking topics. Dodo had made a glorious pretense of being greedy about treacle pudding, in order to show how much she appreciated David's housekeeping. Thus, when the hour for bedtime came, he got up, rather serious. "'Oh, Mummy,' he said, "'I shall never forget today if I live to be twenty. "'My darling, have you enjoyed it? "'Have you enjoyed it just as much as you can enjoy anything?' said Dodo, feeling the shades of the prison-house closing round. "'I have.' "'Tomorrow at this time,' said David solemnly, You'll be here, and I shan't. Dodo heard her heart chords thrumming. Joy was the loudest because the child she had brought into the world, flesh of her flesh and bone of her bone, was a boy already, and with the flickering round of the swift years would soon be a man, and for the same reason there was regret and aching there because never again would she see one who was part of herself, her life swelling into bud and thereafter blossoming. "'Oh, David,' she said, "'your darling body will be there, and I shall be here, but that's nothing at all. "'There's love between us, isn't there, and what on earth can part that? "'You'll understand that some day. 
Hasn't today been delicious? Well, it was only delicious because you were you and I was I. Just think of that for a second. You wouldn't have cared about catching boots with Albert Hun. He opened his eyes very wide. Why, I should have hated it, he said. It was the boot and you, Mummy, that made it lovely. Is that it? It's it and all of it, said she. Off you go. I shall come to say good night before dinner. David wrinkled up his nose. Dinner after treacle pudding and bananas, he shouted. Who'll be fat? I shall have to make a pretense to keep Mrs. Arbuthnot from feeling awkward, said Dodo. I see. Now you've promised to come say good night. It's a con something. Tract, said Dodo. Dodo kept her part of the contract, but there never was anyone so deliciously fast asleep as was David when she went to perform it. He lay with his cheek on his hand and his hair all over his forehead and his mouth a little open with breath coming long and evenly. His clothes lay out ready for packing in the morning and the immortal, warless day was over. She went downstairs again, smiling to herself that David slept so well, back into the cage. The evening papers had been brought by Edith, who was singing in the bathroom. Verdun still held out, and the news of the fall of the second defensive fort was unconfirmed. On the other hand, Trowell, the boy with the bandaged face, who had taken his first outing today, had a high temperature, and the matron had asked Dr. Ash to come and see him. So there was David asleep, and Edith singing, and Verdun untaken, and Trowell with a high temperature. Dodo felt that, on balance, she ought to have been very gay. But Trowell, one of a hundred patients, had a high temperature. She was worried at that in a way she wouldn't have been worried a year ago. If only they would stop maiming and gassing each other for a few days, or if only the hospital could be empty for a week. By the middle of next morning, David had set off without tears, according to promise. Trowell's temperature much abated, only indicated a slight chill, and Verdun still held out. Dodo had dictated a couple of letters to Edith, who, with swoops and dashes of her pencil, took them down on a block of quarto paper, and while Dodo opened the rest of her correspondence, was transferring them onto her typewriter. She worked with a high staccato action, as if playing a red-hot piano. As she clicked her keys, she conversed loudly and confidently. "'Go on talking, Dodo,' she said. "'All I am doing is purely mechanical, and I can attend perfectly.' There, when the bell rings like that, I know it is the end of a line, and I just switch the board across, and it clicks and makes a new empty line for itself. You should learn to typewrite. It is mere child's play. I shall never write a letter in my own hand again. We ought all to be able to use a typewriter. You can dash things off in no time. I think the work you have been doing here is glorious, but you ought to type. Let me see. You said something in this letter about aspirin. I've got aspirin mixed up with the next word in my shorthand notes. Just refer back and tell me what you said about aspirin. Dodo turned up a letter which she thought was done with. We want aspirin tabloids containing two grains, she said. That was it, said Edith triumphantly. You said grains, and it looked like graceful on my copy. Are you sure you didn't say graceful? Now that's all right. I move the line back and erase graceful. No, that stop only makes capitals instead of small letters. I'll correct it when the sheet is finished. Let me see. Oh, yes, that curve there means as before. It's all extraordinarily simple if you once concentrate upon it. The whole of this transcribing, which looks like a conjuring trick, oh, I began writing conjuring trick, is really like the explanation of a conjuring trick, which, did I type before or didn't I? 
Do go on talking. I work better when there is talking going on. I shan't answer, but the fact that there is some distraction makes me determined not to be distracted. Conscious effort, you know. Jack comes tonight, said Dodo, continuing the opening of her letters, and will play quiet-aged lawn-tennis tomorrow afternoon. Edith paused with her hands in the air. Why quiet and aged, she said, plunging them onto the keys again. The bell rang. Because the lights are low, and I'm very old, said Dodo. Edith forgot to move the machine, and began writing very quickly over the finished line. Nonsense, she said. You must be fierce and strong and young, with all the lights on. I mustn't talk. Something's happened. But all that concerns us now is to be as efficient as we possibly can. We can't afford to make mistakes. We must— she pulled out the sheet she had been working on, and gazed at it blankly. "'Dear sir,' she repeated, "'the Marchioness—is it spelled like March or Marsh, Dodo? Oh, March. Yes, I'll correct that. Aspirin in graceful conjuring trick, that should be grains, and then four large Q's in a row. Oh, that was when I made a mistake with the erasing key. Very stupid of me. And what's happened to the last line? It's written over twice.' "'Have you got any purple ink, Dodo? "'I always like correcting in the same coloured ink as the type. "'It looks neater. "'Well, if you have only got black, that will have to do.' "'Edith shook the stylograph Dodo gave her to make it right, "'and a fountain of pure black ink poured onto the page. "'Blotting paper!' she said in a strangled voice. "'Dodo began to laugh. "'Oh, Edith, you're a tonic,' she said, and I want it this morning.' "'My dear, don't waste any more time over that, "'but tell me if you never feel in crumbs as I do. "'I think it's reaction from yesterday. "'I escaped. "'I played with David all day "'and forgot about cripples and cut and verdun, "'and now I'm back in the cage again, "'and David's gone, and... "'and I'm a worm. "'If I followed my inclination, "'I should lie down on the floor and roar "'for the very disquietness of my heart, "'as the other David says.' "'I shouldn't,' said Edith loudly. "'I want to dance and sing because I am helping to destroy those putrid Huns. "'Every letter I typewrite—I'll copy this one out again, by the way, "'as no one in the world could read it—is another nail in their odious coffin. "'I don't care whether Verdun is lost or Kut or anything else. "'It's not my business. "'And it's not yours either, Dodo. "'You mustn't think. "'There's too much to do. "'There's no time for thinking. "'But what has happened to you is that you're overtired. "'I shall speak to Jack about it.' "'My dear, you will do nothing of the kind,' said Dodo. "'It would be quite useless to begin with, "'for I should do exactly as I pleased, "'and it would only make Jack anxious.' "'Edith ran an arpeggio scale up her typewriter. "'When I feel tired or despondent,' she said, "'which isn't often, I read about German atrocities. "'Then I get on the boil from morning till night.' "'Dodo shook her head. "'No,' she said. "'Living surrounded by the wounded "'doesn't have that effect on me or anyone else.' If you allow yourself to think, it simply makes you sick at heart. Two days ago, a convoy of men who had been gassed came in, and instead of feeling on the boil, I simply ached. We are beginning to use gas, too, and my heart aches when I think of German boys being carried back into hospitals in the state ours are in. I suppose I ought to be pleased that they are being gassed, too, but I'm not. And I began so well, I was simply consumed with fury, and thought that that was the way to wage war. So it is, no doubt, but what do you prove by it? Was anything ever so senseless? The world has gone mad. Edith fitted a new sheet into her machine. I know it has, and the best thing to do is to go mad too until the world is sane again, she said. You haven't had your house knocked to bits by a bomb. Now I'm going to begin the aspirin letter once again. I don't want to think, and you had better not either. Dodo laughed. 
I know, she said. And will the aspirin letter be ready for the post? It goes in a quarter of an hour. It will have to be, said Edith. After that, I insist on your coming out to play a few holes at golf before lunch. I shall work all afternoon. Give me a sheaf of letters to write, Dodo. This time, something quite unprecedented happened to Edith's machine, for six of the keys, including the useful E, would not act at all, and Dodo, already much behind with her morning's work, left her furiously tinkering with it. The aspirin letter was, in consequence, infinitely delayed, and Dodo had to telegraph instead. Later in the day, the machine being still quite unusable, Edith put it in its box and dispatched it for repair to London, with a letter of blistering indignation. A day or two must elapse before it came back, and she devoted herself to shorthand, and gave a little series of concerts consisting of her own music to the astonished patients. David wrote happily from school, Trowell's temperature went down, Verdun held out, and the convoy of gassed men did well. Under this stimulus, Dodo roused herself for the effort of not thinking. She did not even think how odd it was for her to whom activity was so natural to be obliged to make efforts. The days mounted into weeks, and the weeks into months, and she ceased looking forward and looking back. It was enough to get through the day's work, and every day it was a little too much for her. So, too, was the effort to keep her mind absorbed in the actual work which laid a hand. That, perhaps, tired her more than the work itself. End of chapter 9 Recording by Crowgirl, redcrowblog.wordpress.com